Hello authors, I'm Joanne Morell, children's and young adult fiction writer and author of short non-fiction for authors. Thanks for joining me for the Hybrid Author Podcast, sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you forge a career as a hybrid author, both independently and traditionally publishing your books. You can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the Hybrid Author website to discover your writing process, get tips on how to publish productively, and get comfortable promoting your books at www.hybridauthor.com.au. Let's crack on with the episode. Claire Boston fell in love with romance and romantic suspense at 11 when she discovered her mother's stash of Nora Roberts novels. Like Nora, she writes series set around families or groups of friends with a guaranteed happy ending. She loves traveling and learning about new cultures and interesting vocations, which she then weaves into her writing. Her novels have been shortlisted for the Romantic Book of the Year and the Vivian Awards. When Claire's not writing, she can be found creating her own handmade journals, swinging on a sidecar, or in the garden, attempting to grow something other than weeds. Wow, that's a fantastic bio, Claire. Welcome to the Hybrid Author Podcast. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. So from your bio, it sounds like you started at a very young age reading romance and romantic suspense. So so back then, did that was that moment when that kicked off a love of reading or was that how you got into writing in the first place way back then? It was actually a summer holidays and I had run out of books to read. So this was in the days before uh, e-books and I lived in a small town. There was no bookshop in there. And I had read every babysitter's club and Sweet Valley High that I had. And I had nothing left to read. And I think my mum was tired of me saying, I'm bored. What can I do? So she said, here, read these. Um, and so, yeah, that sort of started the love of of romance and romantic suspense. And um, I mean, I'd always been a reader. It's just it gave me something more to read. Yeah, fantastic. We share that in common. I remember my mum's Mills and Boons at the side of her bed and also uh, my love of reading. I had, I think I had every Sweet Valley High book out there. I had the whole collection and I just absolutely loved them. <laughs> I did go back because I seen she had written uh, an adult one. Did you ever read that? Oh, no, I yeah, didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> It was uh, <laughs> it was quite different going back as an adult reader and reading it. I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so obviously, you know, you, you, did you find your niche being romance and romantic suspense, suspense, sorry, and now fantasy through this love of reading? So you write through the love of reading rather than kind of ideas you have for other genres? I always, I mean, I've always been a reader and I remember back when I was in university sort of thinking I'd like to write a book one day and not really having any ideas of what to write and then I had a dream one night that sort of sparked the first idea and that was actually a fantasy story so I changed a couple of the units I was studying at university to do some creative writing units and I started writing this fantasy novel and I think I got about nine chapters in before 
sort of life got in the way and I put it aside and I didn't come back to it again until five years later and that's when I started to write romance. Wonderful, yeah. And that fantasy novel that you put away is, you know, you're doing fantasy now. Is this is this that novel, that, that idea or no? No, it's no. not. I actually, so I started writing romance when I decided that I wanted to actually be published. I thought, no, I'm going to be serious about this. And my, my goal was I want to be a published author. So I had a whole bunch of romance ideas floating around my head and I started writing those and then I found my critique group and sort of for the first six months or so I sent them chapters of of this romance that I was writing and and then one of my critique group members said have you got anything else (laughs) or have you written anything else and I figured that to mean that my romances weren't very good (laughs) Uh, so I, I sent along this fantasy that I'd written um, and they loved that. So I wrote, I finished writing that book. Then I wrote the sequel to it. Um, I think I might have written a third fantasy as well before I decided I'd give romance a go again. And it happened to be that the first romance I wrote after that, so this is probably four or five years later by the time I'd written those books um and that book was what goes on tour which was my first published novel so obviously I got better at writing over those years (laughs) yeah well congratulations on achieving your goal of being a published writer uh and you came to publish with momentum how how was your experience with them Well, it was great. I really loved the Momentum team and it was back in 2013. So digital publishing was sort of just starting. All of the traditional publishers were beginning to have digital only imprints, which meant that they were only publishing ebooks, not print books as well. And I was going to the Romance Writers of Australia conference. Uh, It was the first one in Fremantle actually back in 2013 and they had a panel which allowed you to send the first three pages of your manuscript in and what the the idea of the panel it was called Survivor Submission Island or something like that (laughs) and it had it had four agents and two editors on the panel and it basically was supposed to mimic the submission process so the idea is that an editor or an agent will only read maybe three pages of your submission before they know whether they want more or not so somebody would read out the three pages and if they liked it they they would be fine but if they didn't like it they'd hold up the stop sign as to when they would stop if they'd received it on the slush pile so it it was quite daunting and (laughs) there was There were quite a few um, stories read and then mine was read because it was all blind. They didn't know whose story was whose. So the first three pages of What Goes On Tour was read and they they got through the whole lot without a stop, which meant I could then submit to all of these agents and editors. And Joel Noon, who was the uh, editor in um, at Momentum, was one of the ones who requested it. 
Oh, fantastic. So I was able to send the whole manuscript to him. That's great. I've actually seen you in a panel in the past. I think it was at the Perth Writers Festival. I forget what the session was on, um, but that's when I bought What Goes On Tour and uh, I loved it. It was a fantastic book. So well done. Um, So with uh, obviously being picked up by Momentum, can you tell us about what your publishing schedule was like with them? Um, What your process was through, they took you through each time when you published a book? The first book was relatively fast, especially for, for traditional publishers. So the conference was in August and I submitted my full manuscript to Joel pretty much immediately. Uh, it was the end of October before I got the email to say that they wanted to publish it, which was very exciting. <laughs> um, and then it was uh, probably a month or so to get the contract sorted. Um, they had the full manuscript, so they were getting that edited. Um, and the book came out in February. So it was basically oh. four months between between contracted and out. And then there was a bit of a gap because I didn't have another book to submit yet. That was my, my first romance that I'd written. And um, But I, I basically asked them, what do you want next from me? Because I thought, well, I've got a foot in the door. I want to keep being published by them. So I gave them a few different outlines of stories that I had sort of percolating ideas I had and and then I said oh or I could do a sequel to what goes on tour and Joel came back and said oh we like this story idea but make it a sequel so I thought sure I can do that and then I had to <laughs> frantically think how I was going to tie it in oh and they wanted it set in America as well so the first book what goes on tour is a rock star romance where um, a Texan rock star is on tour in Australia so then I figured, well, he has to be, he's from Texas. He lives in Texas. I, I established that in book one. So book two had to be set in, in Houston, Texas, which I knew nothing about. But luckily I had a friend who just moved over. So um, I emailed her and I did a lot of research and I figured out how it was all going to fit. And, and all that sparkles was the result of that. And it must have been maybe sort of six months later that I submitted that to to Joel to say, okay, here's book two. And then it was October, I want to say, and I got made redundant from my job in September. So I'd started book three and I said to Joel, because there's never an immediate answer. Even though you've been published with them before, it was two or three months later. I still hadn't heard whether they wanted book two. But I emailed him and said, look, I've got book three almost finished and I'm planning on writing book four, or at least the first draft in the next month or so to you know, get that out because I, I don't have a job anymore. And he came back to me and said, oh, he'll contract books two and three. And then I pushed him on book four and then he sent me through a three book contract. So um, that's how the Texan Quartet was born. And in terms of the whole process, I got uh, edits back from them and it it might take anywhere between two or three months to get those edits back. Then I had a couple of weeks to do the edits and then they would uh, proofread it and format it and then they'd send me back a copy for the final proofreading. And in that time, they'd send me covers for approval and 
So when they when they send you when they send you the editing, is it um do they go through it with you or is that something you just look at it, you see their notes and have you pretty much got to make the changes or you just accept or reject? They're they're sort of notes, uh, and I can accept or reject as I like. Uh if I had any questions I could give them a call and have a chat to them about it. I have to say the editing was very light with momentum. So it was it was more of a copy edit with a few suggestions of changes rather than any deep structural edits. Uh, these days I do, I have an editor who I use who is amazing and she sends me back, you know, a 20 page report on her ideas and things and what's working and what's not. So, uh, <laughs> It's it's chalk and cheese between actually what I got from my traditional publisher and what I get now. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic! Yeah. Oh gosh, and um, it's great that so with the approval of the cover as well, do they send you a couple of different designs? No, they send me a pretty much a finished cover with what goes on tour. I made a suggestion. Uh, the the Rockstar's singlet that he's wearing is white, but in the book, um, Kent is a really dark, grungy kind of uh, persona. So I suggested that they change it to black, which they did, and it looked crap. So we oh. went back. <laughs> but the other covers I just loved, you know, so that wasn't really a problem. We We had a few discussions about Into the Fire, which is my chef's uh, story. Uh, they said, oh, we're just having so much trouble finding a a sexy chef, basically, um, you know, as a, as a stock photo. And I said, well, he rides a motorbike as well, so maybe you can find something with a leather jacket. And they snapped that up and yeah. had the cover within, a, you know, a week or so. So that's how... That ended up that way. <laughs> oh, that's great. And so how long, Momentum are not around anymore, so with your experience with them, how how long from when you first published with them to when they kind of closed their doors? Uh, so nothing to, no. Into the Fire came out February 2016, and I had another three-book contract with them for the Flanagan sisters and book one of that break the rules was uh had been edited it was due to come out in April I think April May and all I was waiting for was the cover and I kept emailing Joel saying you know when am I going to see the cover it's not long until it's coming out you know I'd like to be able to promote it and share it and I need the cover uh and that's when I got the news that they were sort of folding into Pan Macmillan and I could ask for my rights back. So I had, at that stage, book one was ready to be published. All I needed was a cover. Book two had been written and maybe had been submitted to be edited. I'm not sure. I, I sort of thought to myself, well, I could submit this to another publisher, but it's ready to go. And if I have to wait 12 months to hear back 
and then they have to add it to their production line and it could be a couple of years before this book comes out. So that's when I decided that I would try self-publishing because all I needed to do was buy a cover. So it was sort of the, the least investment I needed to put out a, a you know, quality product. That's it. Well, yeah, congratulations. You now independently publish your books under your own imprint name, uh, Bantilly Publishing. And I read, was that, how, how did you merge the name for that? Was it part your dog's name? And yeah. I forget the other part. <laughs> Yeah, Banjo and, and Matilda. Oh. We called Matilda Tilly, so it was Ban Tilly. Oh, and the actual logo for it is a an outline of Banjo as a puppy. So, again, that was quite easy to come up with. Yeah, that's great. Uh, how have you found running your own indie press? And uh, can you share some step, tips, sorry, for aspiring authors who are looking up, to, looking to set up their own publishing brand? It's a learning curve, so I won't deny that but I was lucky because I had friends who'd done it as well so I could chat to them I listened to a lot of podcasts uh the creative pen was one that I listened to a lot I joined a bunch of Facebook groups I read a lot of how-to books and it wasn't too hard I was lucky that I could uh the editor that I had with momentum I could use on the other books. So she was happy to edit uh, books two and three of, of the Flanagan Sisters. That's great. I, I found the cover designer through a recommendation from a friend. And then really it was just the formatting. And um, I have quite a good knowledge with Microsoft Word, so the formatting didn't cause me any problems in that. The first Gosh, I think the first series I just formatted in Word and then uploaded to all the different places in Word. Since then, I've bought Juto, which is a uh, software program that will convert books to ebook, uh, EPUB and Mobi. Uh, and I, I still use Word for my print copies. And yeah, and, and it's sort of evolved. So by the time book for Place to Belong came out in the Flanagan Sisters, my editor couldn't fit me in and that's something I had to learn. Book your editors in early. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to go and find another editor. And I went through, I think, two different editors um, for two different books. And they weren't very good. And then a, a friend recommended the editor that I've got now. And I've had her for about three years or so. She's done about... Oh, eight, nine, ten of my books, and I just love her. And so by now I've got my schedule. So I know that she has the book for a week. Um, she's really, really fast turnaround. So I send it to her on the Monday, and she has it back to me by the following Monday. It usually takes me a couple of weeks to go through all her suggestions, figure out what I want to change, make those changes. Uh, and then I send it to my copy editor, and again, she has it for about a week. And when I get those back, it takes me a day or two just to check to make sure everything's good. Then I format it, and then I proofread it myself these days. And I do that by listening to it aloud. So I'll format it as a print, then I'll listen to it. And 
listening to it, I usually do it on about one and a half speed. It takes me couple of days I guess I get bored of listening to it it's like oh because the voice is really robotic and it's just like oh but it's a really good method for picking up uh repetition of words and just clunky writing so so is that through to to listen to that is that through word do you yeah yeah you can yeah there's a yeah just a dictate function yeah that's awesome I'm, I'm sitting thinking that you've recorded it reading it yourself and then you're listening it back <laughs> no no no, no. <laughs> yeah, probably not got time for that <laughs> so you, have, you you've got two editors then you've got your sort of structural one and then you you send it off to a different one so oh that's interesting yeah, copy episode, yeah. yeah, yeah. how come Are you not just sort of stuck with the one or just they do they have different traits and skills I suppose yeah, they do. I, I really like Anne for my structural edits. She'd probably do the copy edit as well if I asked her to, but having a second pair of eyes on it is also mm. good as well. So Tina, my copy editor, she tends to, you know, she's fixing punctuation and spelling, and but she'll also occasionally give me some feedback with, oh, you know, this doesn't make sense to me or um, you might want to have a look at this thing. So I, I get a little bit of feedback as well on the story and and that works yeah is this tina raffamal again yeah oh fantastic (laughs) she's been a guest on the show uh i think she was episode three but yeah she is very wise and knowledgeable so that's great Mm -hmm. that's so good well yeah it sounds like you're in a a a bit of a role um so you're bantily publishing the question was sticking to a publishing schedule like Momentum. So Momentum, I think I seen was that more like three books a year, April, July, and October. Um, Bantilly Publishing is a bit more more than that, isn't it? Yeah, it really depends on how organised I am. So at the beginning of the year, I usually have an idea. I'll do a business plan and I'll figure out what books I want and I'll book my editor in at the beginning of the year. Uh, this year I've got five appointments with her uh, and I think I've got one more left. So I've got her in September. So I sort of leave the last couple of months open because I don't really know where the where everything's going. If, as long as I stick to my, my schedule, I've got time to write another book by the end of the year. But I like to give myself just that little bit of flexibility in case I come up with this amazing idea that I want to write or in case, you know, something goes wrong and I, you know, can't write for a couple of months. So, yeah, I try minimum of four books a year. Uh, Last year was five. This year, four or five, depending on if this Christmas book that I'm writing at the moment comes together. (laughs) That's great. So, yeah, if that comes that that's a really good tip um actually if do you find that makes you accountable to book your editor in advance that's i find if i've you know i've got a date with somebody or or something that seems to push me into gear more so yeah that's great absolutely and because my editor gets booked up i need to book her in advance so i know i think it was last year i said to her oh i need an appointment in uh february and you know, and I, whatever other dates. And she was like, oh, my first available is April. So I went, oh, no. <laughs> oh. And so your books are fairly, are they all fairly around the same size? Yeah, my romance and romantic suspense 
are about 65 to 70. I always write quite short in the first draft. So the first draft's usually maybe 60,000 words, and then I have to go back and add description and emotion and all of the stuff that I skip in the in the dirty draft. And it usually comes up to between, yeah, 65 and 70 by the time I've finished adding everything that I need to add. So if you're booking that in with the editor, she's got a rough idea of, you know, obviously what the book is, how, how big it's going to be. So it doesn't really differ from that. So, yeah. 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 My fantasies are a lot longer. So they're about 100,000. Um, the Emperor's Conspiracy was about 100,000. My wow. new one's a little bit shorter than that. 100,000. You probably had to go back and do lots and lots of fleshing out <laughs> for that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the same as you. I, I, I'm i trying to be a bit more of a plotter these days, but I kind of have an idea. I run with it and then I run out of steam, have to go back and I, I rarely have a lot of information and have to bulk it up as well. Um, so was there a marketing reason for publishing in the specific months that you do put out? You've mentioned a Christmas book there. So I imagine you'd probably want to have that ready, packed, parceled before Christmas or you know, leading up to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for about November for that one. And, and in terms of when they come out, I should be more strategic, I think, but I'm not. <laughs> My goal this year was that I wanted a couple of months between finishing the book and it coming out because I found that I was basically finishing it publishing it and going on to the next thing and I just didn't have breath to to take so I, I decided I would give myself at least a month between the date that I was pretty sure it was would be finished and done and it coming out just so I could spend some time working on the launch plan I could give myself some leeway in case something went wrong uh, and it just yeah, it, it relaxes me. So I, I was a bit bit sick of the, the the production line that I had going. So so yeah, book three in my new series, uh, which is Escape to Retribution Bay, I've just got the structural edits back for that. So that'll take me a couple of weeks to do. And it's coming out in October. So I should have it completely ready to go by the end of August. So, yeah, that gives me a, a month in case something goes wrong. I can order the print copies to make sure that they're all right uh, and then do from there in October. Great. So you mentioned, you know, you do, you've got a couple of editors. You do the proofread. Are you still outsourcing for your covers? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I am not a graphic designer. <laughs> um, I have a couple of designers. Um, and I have a friend who also does some of my covers. So, uh, yeah, and they cost me um, between 200 and 250 US. Um, I do keep an eye on the pre-made covers as well because um, there's lots out there and every now and then, um, for example, with my new fantasy series, I had a look through those just to see if there was anything suitable or to get ideas and then, I ended up going with um, a new designer for the fantasy. 
Try it. Yeah, so the covers are custom designed, obviously, to your specifications. And yeah, it probably helps with what, what the book's about, I suppose, in, in, in your mind. But yeah, no, that's great. Do you also research, um, you know, the platforms you're obviously putting the books up? Do you go through and have a look at what's current? Because it changes so much in indie publishing, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So before I sort of write out my spec for my designer, I'll go through the top 100 on Amazon and Kobo and Apple and uh, Nook and just see what are the commonalities, uh, what looks like it might be coming up uh, and just figuring out which which sort of slant. Because with my romantic suspense, do I want to go more romance or more suspense? Uh, and I actually found it quite difficult to find a designer who could do those sort of action covers for romantic suspense. So for my new series, uh, Retribution Bay, they're all uh, cowboys on the covers with sort of reds to give it a sort of suspensey feel to them. Mm, no, I saw the covers. They look amazing. Your website is just fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah. So... You're currently, you have a book out as well on self-editing for writers. Can you share some of the tips that you touch upon in this book? Oh, well, I basically go over the two types of editing, uh, structural and copy editing. And I, it's sort of stuff that I learned along the way. And I kind of put it all together in one location. I was running a couple of workshops for the Rockingham Writers' Centre. And I thought it might be useful for people to know all the stuff that I learnt along the way, all in one spot. So the structural stuff goes on um, the common mistakes that I see beginner writers make. So I've also done a lot of uh, judging for uh, Romance Writers of Australia for their beginner writer or non-published writer competitions. And I, I saw commonalities between the mistakes that they were making so excuse me uh things like uh changing points of view uh head hopping as we call it too much description not enough description backstory dumps info dumps the whole show don't tell which is something that i struggle with even today but you know it's, it's always good to be reminded of and then sort of about pacing and uh plot and characterization and character names because sometimes people get hooked up on the idea that all their characters should have the same name because they're in the same family and as a reader that just gets confusing <laughs> I think I've so, been yeah. guilty of that actually <laughs> for a children, children's book I've written I think you know the main character's George, uh, Georgiana but she's Georgie for sure I think there was maybe the dad was George maybe there was George the second but yeah it's a bit of a mouthful so I think I'll go back and change that now <laughs> <laughs> it can be okay but it's especially if it's a secondary character and you've got them with all sort of similar names when you come back to them again you know three chapters on the reader can be struggling to say, oh, wait, who was that again? Or was that that person or this person? There's sort of those kind of uh, suggestions in the book. And then I go over the types of copy editing that you should do for yourself before you send it to an editor. 
um, and then some recommendations for proofreading. So, yeah, it's not very long. It's only about, I can't remember if it was 20,000 or 40,000 words um, <laughs> in the end. But, yeah, it's just got all the and examples from my work. So you can see all the rubbish writing that I had. <laughs> I, I think actually my first fantasy novel has uh, is in this book. It's sort of a a scene from that to 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 show what I mean when I talk about deep point of view because it was very surface level. So I use my own writing and poke fun of that in in the book. Yeah, no, that's amazing that you do share that. I think and and let people see. No, that's fantastic. It sounds like a great read. So I'll have to get that one. Uh, so I, I am in awe that you can even put out four books or five books. It's it's really a huge achievement. So you should be so proud of that. So to reach your publishing goals, being the publisher now, do you have a writing process that you sit down? You know, you sort of told us the publishing process. Is, is there a process you've found, you've, you've stumbled upon or created to, uh, you know, do you write a certain amount of words a day or a chapter or? very organized and um, and I think I, I frustrate or just awe some of my other author friends who aren't as, quite as organized as I am but I'll do a business plan every year and I have a sort of rolling five-year plan as well and what I do with that business plan is I'll then break it down so I'll have a quarterly plan I'll have a monthly plan I'll have a weekly plan and I'll have a daily plan so I, I use a, the bullet journal method. So every month I will write the top 20 things that I need to get done this month. And then at the beginning of the week, I'll write down which of those 20 things I'm doing this week. And then uh, each day I'll say, okay, this is how I'm going to achieve that goal. So that's my process. When it comes to writing a new novel, uh, so with my Retribution Bay series, I plotted out the first four books in in a very vague idea. Like I knew who my main characters were. I had a vague idea of who the bad guy was and what I wanted to do in each book. So it's sort of a really vague, um, but sort of idea. And the idea is it's going to be an eight-book series as well. So I sort of knew the next four books would be um, focused around the ocean, whereas the first four books are focused around this uh, sheep station. I worked out who the characters were, so it revolves around a family, so I needed to know who each of the siblings were and what the setting was. So I, I sort of did a bit of plotting around that, um, around their characters, and then I used the Save the Cat method for plotting, which is sort of, I think it's about 12 beats, and I'll just scribble down ideas for that. And then I'll start writing. And my goal with my first draft is just to get it on the page. I don't really look back at what I've written. I don't edit. It's just get the story down so I know what happens. And as I'm writing, you know, I might be eight chapters in and I'll write something that completely contradicts something I said in in chapter two and I know that but it's like that's fine I'll fix that in the edits uh, and sort of I I guess I'm getting to know my characters a little bit as I go as I write so I try to get the first draft done in a month if I can do that uh, if I don't have any other other things happening 
and then I will spend probably about a month doing my own structural edit. So that's when I go back and I sort out the inconsistencies and I add description and I've been using my editor for so long now that as I'm editing I'll hear her voice in my head saying now don't you think you should show us a little bit more detail here (laughs) or if you just add this that will work and and I'll be like I don't want to (laughs) but I know she's right so I'll I'll take that extra time to add the stuff in that I know she was going to ask for if I don't so uh yeah and then so these days it's about about two months to get the book at the stage where I can send it to my editor maybe nine weeks if I add a week on to do my own copy editing because I use pro writing aid to do a sort of copy edit and oh I hate that process it is (laughs) just the worst because you're going through chapter by chapter and I have three reports that I write, run, and one of them is repeated words. So you're looking at all the that's in the in the chapter, or all the uh, justs. I have a problem with just. Everything is just happening. So <laughs> I have to go through and look at all of those. And um, I can only do about two hours at a time before I'm just like, nope walk away <laughs> I have I'm sick of this yeah I haven't actually used pro writing aid but I've heard of it is is that something that's fairly new and would you recommend it you're finding it useful it's been around for a couple of years now um I find it really useful because you can put your own words in so there are I had a I had a list before I found pro, t- pro writing aid so I had a list of filter words so those are things that distance the reader. So things like uh, wondered, he felt, uh, she looked, that, that sort of that take you out of that really deep point of view. So I had a list of my own filter words and I had a list of my own words that I knew I repeated all the time. And so I would go through that list myself, just doing a, you know, find and replace kind of thing. Pro writing aid is a lot more detailed than that, so it will look at those things, but it will also look at uh, repeat, repeated phrases, and it's really surprising how often you repeat some phrases. Um, so that's good, and it also looks at uh, it'll do a grammar check, a spell check, and I'm just trying to think of what the other reports that I run are. Um, adverbs whether you're overusing adverbs so it's worth it I think I probably I probably delete about a thousand words in that process because I'm just tightening up the text but it's such a mind-numbing process that I hate it (laughs) oh the things we do (laughs) for the love of writing (laughs) and do you find uh smashing out the first draft that your ideas the idea you kind of started with in your head I suppose you're getting the story out but do you find you surprise yourself it's not as you're writing it kind of takes you off somewhere completely different than you thought it was going to be yeah it does sometimes when I look over what I plotted and what I actually ended up with there are some differences there's some stuff that stays the same 
but I always like it when I get an aha moment. You know, the character will say something and I'll think, ooh, that's good. <laughs> and so I'll just follow that wherever it goes. Oh, that's great. And do you have any, so obviously you have a writing process, do you have any rituals that you do before you start the writing process? Like go to the toilet, have a cup of tea, go for a walk, that kind of thing, or say some affirmations, you know, that I know some people talk about, they wear different hats you know they put this hat on and I think some people actually do put a hat on and then they're in that headspace do you do anything like that or it's really just bum and chair get going yeah not really I have a couple of friends who have those kind of rituals for me it's I come into my office I turn on the laptop I open the blinds and then I sit down and write so I guess that's kind of a ritual but what I've actually been starting to do lately is I've been teaching myself to dictate the story. So um, I bought myself a voice recorder. Every morning this week I have been out walking for an hour or so because I really need to get away from my desk and actually get some exercise. And I've been dictating about maybe a 1,000 to 1,500 words in that hour's walk. So when I get home, all I need to do is plug the voice recorder in, transcribe it using Dragon Dictation, and then just touch up any errors there. So and that takes me less than half an hour. So, and how are you finding that process compared to you know because it's it is quite different, isn't it? Having to think, think, and and you know rather than being face you know face down typing the words, it, it, there it is a skill. Yeah, I, I'm really enjoying it. The only problem is if it's windy or if I'm near a noisy road, the the voice recorder and dragon don't like that because there's too much, you know, noise. I've found that with dictating, the writing is more telling than showing. So I'm not getting really deep into my characters. So I'm working on that. But that's okay because that's what, you know, the edit's for. And how how long do you leave your writing? So once you've done the first draft, do you leave it to sit to rest for a while before you go back to it? How how long do you leave it to rest between drafts, or do you or do you? <laughs> I should probably leave it longer. What I do is I finish the first draft, I print it out. Depending on how many books I'm working on it at a time, I might give it a week's rest but I'll generally in that week I'll be reading it and I'll be marking it up so I just use a color pen I like to get away from the computer and and just and, and honestly I'm so mean to myself because <laughs> I'll have comments like fix or deepen or this is crap <laughs> you know work you know, smooth this add more emotion and so I'm not actually making the changes but I'm telling myself what I need to change yeah. you know cut this scene that's always awful and occasionally I'll find that I've written add this here xxx because I haven't known what to write when I'm doing my first draft and I'll think I still don't know what I want to write there. <laughs> so I'll have to figure, figure that out so so yeah, I'm sort of thinking about it in you know big picture terms during that week, and then I'll sit down and actually have the printed manuscript in front of me, and I'll go through making those changes, and then I'll do a second read through of that chapter before I go on to the next chapter. So I'm 
kind of doing a two-edit pass at once. So do you find most days are productive? You've never sort of had, have you ever had any couple of days you've kind of sat and been blocked and oh, you've, you've had to put it down and, and just leave it be? There are times when I know I'm sick of it and and I procrastinate and I know that if I actually just sit down and focus on it and brainstorm, then I'll get through it. But sometimes I just don't need to. So I might go off and do some marketing or I might work on another book that I'm working on because I, I tend to work on two or three at once. They'll be in different stages. So, I'll you know, one of the books might be off at my editors, so I'll be doing the first draft of the next book. So I have to sort of slot things in around each other. But, yeah, I, I always know if I'm stuck, what I really should do is just step away from the computer grab my pen and my paper and just brainstorm and say, okay, what's the point of this scene? What do I need to happen to get to the black moment? What, you know, do I have, do I need another suspense scene here? Do I need a romance scene? Have I developed the character arts enough? So I'll ask myself those kind of questions and try and unblock the or get past the procrastination. No, that's great. So again, absolutely in all, you've currently published 21 books, two novellas and two short stories. How Are you finding the writing and publishing process is getting easier the, the fast and faster the more books you're putting out? Yes. So I told myself at the beginning of this year or last year, that I needed to let go of the novel sooner. So at, when I first started, I was doing maybe six passes, six edit passes before sending it on to the editor. And really that fifth and sixth pass is just tweaking. So I told myself that, no, you've got to, because the other thing is there are times when I'm editing that I'm like, oh, I'll fix that on the next pass. And then I have to stop myself and go, no, fix it now. And then you can tweak it on the on the next part. So I told myself to sort of let go. My editor is really good. She will pick up anything that I miss. So that's why I sort of limit myself to two structural edit passes. The first one is the big picture stuff. All of the stuff that I need to fix, I'll try and do it then. And then the second pass is just tweaking, um, adding a bit more emotion or a bit more description or deepening the points of view. And then I'll say enough and I'll give it to my, or I'll do my copy edit and then I'll give it to my editor to, to go from there. Cause I have to trust myself that I know what I'm doing now. Yep. <laughs> so, so, so that was, that was a bit of a challenge. The first time I did that, I was like, oh, but I've only, you know, I've only been working for two months. It doesn't seem like long enough. But it, it, it's fine. The edits that I get back are similar. Uh, she picks up different things now because as, as she gives me the feedback, I'm learning from that. And so she can focus on other aspects of the writing. And, yeah, so it, it's definitely got faster. That's great. 
So you publish ebook and print, and I've seen that some of your books are in audio. How have you found audiobook publishing to be? Expensive. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah, it's it's been quite an interesting process. So the first two books I published were through Findaway Voices. And what that platform does is you upload what you want from a narrator and then they send you uh, examples, um, narrator interviews and uh, snippets, samples, so that you can choose the kind of narrator that you want. And I, I found a good narrator for those two books. But the next audio book I did was my fantasy, The Assassin's Gift. And that is based on, it's a made up world based on China and Mongolia around the time the Great War was built. So it's got a lot of Mongolian and Chinese names in it. And I wanted a narrator who could well, pronounce those names correctly and also who, who could give that sort of feel to the, to the text. So Find A Way Voices couldn't find me a narrator that I liked. So a friend of me, mine told me about some Facebook groups that have audiobook narrators in there. So I posted in a couple of those and people sent me samples of their work. And then I chose one from there and, and she was fabulous. That's amazing, that, that really is. So did she, therefore, did you just send her the work and then she recorded it and she sent you the files and then you uploaded through Findaway and still use that platform? Yes, yeah. but oh, honestly, she was brilliant. So. The problem I had was I had all these Mongolian names and she was like, how do I pronounce them? And I said, I have no idea. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'd found them through the internet, you know, Googling Mongolian names and I and chose ones that I liked. So I contacted uh, the Mongolian Society of Western Australia through their Facebook page and said, look, this is my situation. I have this audio book. Uh, would you have somebody who would be willing to pronounce these names for me? And uh, there was this lovely lady who came back and said, absolutely, send me the list. Uh, and so she recorded herself pronouncing those names, which I then sent on to my narrator. And we had a meeting, uh, my narrator and I, and she said, oh, I've been, you know, I've been going through, I've made a note of of all the names and all the speaking parts. And so she then actually said, okay, this is how I think this person should sound. So she had a whole list of ways of speaking. So she asked, you know, one of the males who was a Khan, you know, he spoke rougher than, you know, perhaps that or in a different style from the emperor. And, um, and so that was wonderful. So we we settled all of that. And then she went away and she recorded it. And I went through and proofed all the audio files to make sure that she hadn't made any mistakes. And then, yeah, took those audio files and uploaded them to Findaway Voices. Oh, wow. And Findaway, are they American based? Do you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's that's really interesting. So I was going to ask, you didn't fancy giving it a go yourself, but obviously a lot of Mongolian names and pronunciations, yeah, that would have been hard. <laughs> I, 
I have tried to do one of my short stories, but I don't really like the way my voice sounds. <laughs> so, uh, and it does take a, a little bit of effort. You know, you have to edit it all together and make sure it's the right format and, you know, do all of that sort of production side yeah. that I'm not very good at. So one day yeah. I might go back and, and, and try those short stories again. But uh, yeah, at this stage, no. Yeah. Also for your editing book, possibly, you know, I've heard non-fiction's quite, and I think we all hate our voice, but <laughs> I don't think, you know, it, yeah, you have a lovely voice. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so obviously, you know, I find you quite pro prolific with your publishing. Uh, what do you believe has been the fundamental actions that you've taken throughout your writing and publishing career to reach your publishing success of, you know, 21 plus books? Really, it's just being organized. So I use a bullet journal method. I have my business plan. I have my quarterly, monthly, weekly and and daily goals that I go through. And it's just treating it as a business. So I get to work or get to my office. It's not really far from the kitchen. And I sit down at 8.30 in the morning and I'll work until five o'clock. I'm never distracted. You know, people ask me, oh, well, what, you know, why? don't you watch television or read a book or, you know, go out shopping or go for coffee. It just, it honestly never occurs to me to turn on the television or to do anything except work. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. The books won't get written if I don't sit down and work. So it's, it's my full-time job. I treat it with the, the respect and and seriousness that it deserves yeah. have um, you, and I guess that's just how it goes. <laughs> have you found others around you have had the same view kind of treating what you do with respect or uh, I've found in the past you know to, to sort of sit down and writing as you said people are inquiring why you haven't switched on the tv I don't think they quite understand what you're doing or they maybe just think you are sitting around <laughs> watching tv have you ever found because people know you're kind of working from home that they try and take advantage of that or you know like you know could you possibly yeah. pick up my kid or you know take my dog for a walk <laughs> while I'm on holiday or you know because they wouldn't ask you if you were at an office <laughs> no no that's right I had to train my family and I did that very early on so back in I want to say about 2005 or 2006, when I first started, when I sat down and said, I want to publish a book and I'm going to be serious about this. I took a week off work and, and that's when I wrote my, my first draft of my first book, which was literally 14,000 words and nowhere near long enough for a book length. So I figured I had a lot to learn. But in that week, I made the mistake of telling my family that I was going to be home. So I got these phone calls. Oh, we're going for coffee. Come with us. Da, da, da. And I had to keep saying, no, no, I am working. And, and that sort of happened it, the first year, possibly even into two years. My 
goals were because I was working full time then I was working up in Perth I had to leave home at seven I didn't get home until six there wasn't a lot of of time to write so I had Tuesday evenings when my husband was playing basketball so he was out of the house and I had half a day on the weekend that I said no this is my writing time I'm going to write and so I had to be disciplined for me that's how I work so I had to say no to going out on the boat or going for coffee or getting together with friends because no that's my writing time and and my family reasonably quickly learned that when I said I'm writing that's that meant I wasn't available and so these days they know not to call me during the middle of the day for a chat because no I'm working yeah, that's a, yeah. Uh, you know that they, they never called me for a chat when I was in my my office job so you don't get to chat to me you know it can wait until five o'clock yeah. whatever you have to say um and I mean some people might might hear that and think that I'm inflexible but really it's it's just trying to to succeed and I'm lucky my husband works shift work. So I, I allow myself that flexibility. So say if he has a Wednesday, Thursday off instead of a Saturday and Sunday, I will take Wednesday, Thursday off to you know, spend time with him and then I'll work Saturday, Sunday. But I work five days a week and usually, you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock to 5 o'clock every day. And that's just how I get five six books published a year yeah that's it disciplined no that's great and uh, you've you've mentioned before you know you you credit your organizational skills the the bullet point list your business plans are those some of the organizational tips and scheduling tips that you would advise authors to follow or do you do you know do you think that someone should find their own way of working if they want to publish productively you need to find a process that works for you. So my process is sit down, do it. Um, I have friends who are most productive in the evenings, which to me is just like I'm ready to, to go to bed <laughs> by the evening. You know, the most I can I, I can focus on is some TV or a book or something. Um, but if if night's your best time to write, then do, do your writing at night. Uh, it, it really is finding out what works for you. I have other friends who are perfectly happy with writing a thousand words a day and, and, and some of them, it might take them all day to write that thousand words. And that's fine. You know, everybody has their own process. Um, find what works and then stick to it. That's not saying you can't experiment if you hear of a different method. For example, with my dictation, I'm, I'm trying that to see if I can become a little bit more productive or at least work while also exercising, which is a big thing that I need to do because <laughs> otherwise my step count is about 1,500 steps because <laughs> yeah. there's not far between me and the toilet and me and the kitchen. <laughs> so, um, so I need to get out and I, I need to move. Um, and I have a sit-stand desk now as well. So I'll, I'll wind it up to standing and, and work that way. But yeah, find what works for you. That's great. And, 
you're an indie published author. Do you ever submit to traditional publishers? In fact, you've you've recently you've won with your short story, haven't you, for the Queensland uh, competition that was there? So yeah, I think I've answered my own question. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the Queensland um, Adaptable Program was actually pitching my book Nothing to Fear to TV and film producers. Oh. So that was a really interesting experience. Uh, but my fantasy, so my fantasy came out, first one came out last year, and I considered submitting it to traditional publishers. I had an agent who was interested, but I think I like the control that independent publishing gives me. I like being able to know that I'm going to write it and it's going to be out this year or early next year. Whereas traditional publishing, you, you can wait two years between submitting a book and having it published. So that didn't really fit what I wanted at the time. I, I wouldn't say never. Um, you know, this, this Christmas story that I'm writing at the moment, I do wonder whether maybe I should look at a traditional publisher for that because it's a little bit different from... Uh, well, it's not romantic suspense. Uh, it's got four different point of view characters. It's it's my love actually inspired Australian set Christmas story. Ooh, so that sounds it, great. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot happening and a lot of different families and and things. So it's it's quite different from my normal stuff. But so I'm still sort of writing that, figuring out where I'm going to go with it. Uh, so we'll see. I, I would say never say never, you know, especially if they wanted to throw money at me, that would be yeah. wonderful. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for that one to come out. Oh yeah. Well, thank you so much, Claire, for your time and your advice. It's exceptional. Uh, where can the listeners find you and your work in store and online? Well, thank you very much for having me, Jo. Um, you can find me on my websites. So I've got uh, clareboston.com and clareleggett.com is my fantasy name. Uh, I'm on Facebook at Claire Boston Author and I'm on Twitter at Claire B. Author. Wonderful. Thanks again, Claire. Thanks so much for having me. That's the end for now, authors. I hope you're further forward in your author adventure after listening and I hope you'll listen next time. Remember to head on over to the Hybrid Author website at www.hybridauthor.com.au to get your free author pass. It's bye for now.